John chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. And as you turn there, please join me once again in prayer as we ask God's blessing on the reading and preaching of His Holy Word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that You will speak to us now from Your Word, for we know that You have given it to us. You've inspired it. We pray, Lord, that now the reading and preaching of Your Word would be a means of grace to nourish our souls. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the Word of the Lord from John chapter 10, verses 1-11. through 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the, sheep, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. May God bless the reading of his holy word and let his church say amen. Amen. Something that you may not know about me. Some of you do. But you may not know that in a previous life, I worked on a dairy farm for a couple of years. The last two years I lived at home. I worked on a dairy farm. I worked for a dairy farmer named Jim Lehman was his name. And every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, Mr. Jim's cows needed to be milked. And so, every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, at 2.30 p.m. and 2.30 a.m., Mr. Jim milked his cows. And so, I helped him with that. He paid me under the table. It was kind of nice. It was good money at the time for a kid. And there was no end to the work that needed to be done on that farm. After you finished milking the cows, well, then you needed to scrub clean the parlor. After you had done that, the cows needed to be fed. Not only the milking cows, but also the calves and the heifers. The stalls needed to be clean, the crops needed to be attended to, the tractors and equipment and implements and silos needed maintenance. On top of all that was the bookkeeping and business of that thriving farm. And if you watch 
gym work, especially around the cows, it was obvious that he was the farmer and that those were his cows. It always surprised me that as the cows would come into the parlor that he knew the history of each and every one of those cows, it seemed. The cows that were young, the cows that were old, the cows that were pregnant, the cows that needed to become pregnant, the health issues associated with those cows, the cows that were grouchy, and the cows that were friendly. I'll never forget one early morning when I was hooking up a cow, and that cow greeted me with a big, wet lick on my arm. And Jim just laughed and came over, and I was startled, of course, and he just came over and laughed. He said, oh, that's nothing, David. That's just old ear tag 80. It's just one of the sweetest cows that we have out here on the farm. If you watched me work around those cows, it was obvious and clear that I was not the farmer and that those were not my cows. Jim could go out into the farmyard and the cows would, in fact, congregate to him. When I walked out into the farmyard, they ran away from me. Jim could go to the gate and open up the gate at the field and call out to the cows, and there they would just come running towards him. They ignored my calls. Some of them even were difficult for me to even get into the chute for them to be milked. John 10 is one of the most beloved chapters in all of Scripture for the picture it portrays for us as Jesus being our shepherd and we His sheep is one of the most beloved pictures that we have of the Christian life in all of Scripture, isn't it? Jesus cares tenderly for us, even as I prayed in the pastoral prayer from the 23rd Psalm. It's a beautiful picture for us. Jesus is our Good Shepherd and we're His sheep and He cares for us, even laying down His life for the sheep. But before your mind goes there as you listen to this sermon this morning, I just want to pause you a little bit before your mind is quick to jump to the tender care of the shepherd. And this passage teaches that. It's true. But this passage doesn't only teach that. If you think about this chapter in context, it teaches more than God's providential care for His sheep and Jesus' providential care for His sheep. In fact... This passage is a scathing indictment of the Pharisees. It's a case study in two shepherds, two kinds of farmers. One who knows the sheep and cares for the sheep, and the other, quite frankly, the other group of shepherds is a lousy shepherd and doesn't care for or love the sheep comes right in this context from John chapter 9 where Jesus has been interacting with the Pharisees and using this teaching, Jesus is in effect saying to the Pharisees, you claim to be shepherds in Israel and you are the lousiest shepherds ever. You're not real, true shepherds. Jesus is portraying Himself as the good shepherd. The shepherd of His sheep. And we are invited here to 
look at this case study of two shepherds and compare and contrast and make a conclusion that Jesus is in fact the only shepherd worth following. And that's what we'll see this morning in this passage. That Jesus is the only shepherd worth following. So let's look at this passage together. First, I think we need to ask the question, which shepherd should we follow? You might say, well, pastor, that's a bit of a rhetorical question. I know, Sunday school answer. Jesus is the only shepherd worth following. But let's allow this passage to make the case for us. Let's look first together. Jesus teaches here that there are many false shepherds, but only one true shepherd. You see that here in this passage in verse 1? Not everyone who claims to be a shepherd is in fact a shepherd. This was a way that God had called forth judgment and repentance to leaders in Israel. You think about King David, famously a shepherd. And it's no surprise when David becomes a good king because David was what? He was a good shepherd. But the moment at which King David stopped being a good shepherd and sinned with Bathsheba and had Uriah the Hittite murdered, God sent Nathan the prophet and Nathan the prophet told King David a parable and said that there was a man uh, who had one sheep. He was poor and there was another wealthy man and he had a big flock of sheep and that wealthy man threw a party and he stole the little wee little lamb of that poor farmer and slaughtered it and fed it to his guests. King David is outraged. You tell me who that man is. The prophet Nathan looks at David and says, you're the man. You're the man, King David. You haven't been a faithful shepherd. In Jeremiah chapter 23, sorry Travis, Jeremiah chapter 23, and he'll be preaching from here tonight. God declares to the leaders in Israel, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. You have scattered my flock and driven them away, and you have not attended to them. So that's the indictment against Israel's leaders. They have been lousy shepherds. Ezekiel 34, 2-4. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. And the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 17 Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. This is judgment language. Do you hear that? So when we get to John chapter 10, verse 1, and Jesus says, the man who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, what Jesus is saying is, you Pharisees are not true shepherds. 
you act like shepherds a little bit. You think you're shepherds. There's someone in the pen with the sheep, but they're not the true shepherd. They're not the legitimate shepherd. They haven't come through the gate like the shepherd does, but comes in like a thief, breaks into your house, picking the lock, kicking the door open, or breaking a window, entering the fold illegally. That's what Jesus says the Pharisees were like. Jesus used this figure of speech, we learn in verse 6, about the Pharisees. He used it with them. And they didn't understand what Jesus was saying or that He was even talking about them. Which makes sense because these Pharisees aren't Jesus' sheep. They don't know His voice. They don't understand His teaching. And so what Jesus is saying is, you Pharisees, you've been lousy shepherds and God is going to judge you. In John chapter 9, the previous chapter, Jesus had healed a man. Blind from birth, He was a poor beggar. And Jesus miraculously heals this man, revealing that He's the light of the world. And these Pharisees condemn this man. They interrogate this man. They publicly humiliate this man. And when he confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, they excommunicate that man from the temple. That's the context of John 10. Jesus is saying here, He's pointing His fingers at the Pharisees and saying, you have been lousy shepherds of God's sheep. And God is going to judge you. But not only is he saying that against the Pharisees, he's also contrasting himself, isn't he? It's a condemnation of the Pharisees, but also it's a contrast of Jesus himself being the only shepherd worth following. Here Jesus continues in this analogy in verse 2, He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. There's a legitimate shepherd. He comes to the sheep legitimately. And Jesus is saying, I'm that shepherd. I come to call my sheep and I come because the Father has sent me. I come to the door and I enter the sheep pen the right way. The Father has sent me. To Him the gatekeeper opens. Verse 3. It's like it's the difference between a thief coming to your house and breaking and entering and you coming to your house with the, the key to the front door. That's what Jesus is saying. I've come legitimately to care for the sheep. Sheep know His voice. In the ancient Near Eastern world, shepherds would store their, keep their flocks together overnight in a pen, a fence or a wall, two, three, or more flocks together at a time. They would take them out in the day and pasture them by day and and take them to water to drink during the day, but at night, to keep them safe, they would store them together. And then the next day, the shepherds would come to the gate, open the gate. Well, how did they get their sheep separated from the sheep of the other shepherds? Every shepherd had a unique call. And he would stand back and he would call to his sheep using his own unique call, and the sheep would hear his voice and they would come out of the gate, come through that gate, and gather to the shepherd who was calling them. Jesus knew the context of His culture really well, didn't He? 
Jesus is saying, that's, that's what I'm like. The sheep, they know my voice. They hear my voice, verse 3. The sheep hear His voice. He calls His own sheep by name and, and leads them out. He knows the sheep so well that He's able to call them specifically. By name. Hey, come, come to Me. He knows each and every one of His sheep and who they are. When He's brought all His own, when He has brought out all His own, He goes before them and the sheep follow Him for they know His voice. He just leads them on. He doesn't drive them. He leads them on and as He goes, He calls to His sheep and they follow the sound of His voice. That's what Jesus is saying here. Why did this Blind man confessed faith in Jesus Christ. Well, how could he not? His shepherd called him. He came running to his shepherd. In contrast to this work of the the good shepherd, the true shepherd, the Pharisees, they're strangers. Do you see that in verse 5? They're strangers. The voice of a stranger they will not follow, but they flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. No wonder this blind man wouldn't follow the Pharisees. The true shepherd had come. The true shepherd had called this blind man to follow him, and now he's following Jesus, and he's leaving the strange shepherds behind, and he's following after Jesus as the true shepherd. We call this work in theology effectual calling. That's what we call this in theology. Effectual calling. What is effectual calling? Shorter Catechism, question 31, it, it says that effectual calling is a work of God's Spirit. It's a supernatural work. It's not something that you can see in someone's heart. It's a supernatural work of God's Spirit whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, He persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the Gospel. You see, until we are effectually called, we don't know that we're lost. We don't know that we're dead in our sins, and, and we don't know the sheep as our shepherd. But the moment that Christ, through His Spirit, calls us by name, we see our sin as sin, and we see Christ rightly as our Savior, and, and we run to Him. We cling to Him as He calls us not just the general call that goes out for people to repent, but He calls us individually by name. And we come and follow Him individually. Effectual calling is less like giving a person hearing aids and more like giving a person a new set of ears. Effectual calling is less like a heart stint and more like giving someone a brand new heart. Effectual calling is less like reviving someone with CPR and more like raising a dead man back to life. Effectual calling is less like a parent dragging a tantrum-filled child away from a busy, dangerous street and more like a parent getting down on their knees with their arms stretched open, calling their child to come to them. 
Effectual calling is it's less like caring for an orphan and more like making that orphan your biological child. That's what effectual calling is. It's a supernatural work. It's, it's a miracle. It's a work of God's Spirit. And Jesus, He's this true shepherd. He's the only shepherd worth following. He's the true shepherd. And He comes and He calls His sheep individually by name. And when the shepherd calls them, they follow. You might be thinking about that moment when the shepherd called you. When He called you personally by name. And He called you to follow Him. And so what did you do? You looked and you followed. You were made willing and able to freely embrace Christ as He's offered to you in the Gospel. You were made to see the, the hideousness and the disgust of your sin and the, the beauty of God's grace and mercy in the Gospel. You saw Jesus not just as a good example, but you saw Him as your Savior. You saw Him as your Shepherd. One who cared for you and called you. And so you clung to Him. Jesus is the only shepherd worth following and therefore, what Jesus is saying here in John 10 is flee from all those other illegitimate shepherds. Don't follow them. Don't, don't follow them down. Don't answer their call. Flee from them. Run away from them and cling to Christ as the only shepherd. Look to Him. He's the only true shepherd worth following. Well, why should we do that? Jesus elaborates that on that question here in this passage. Why should we flee from the false shepherds? Isn't it just enough to know that they're false shepherds? No, Jesus identifies their true nature here in this passage as well. The false shepherds, as you'll see here, they are abusive to the sheep. But the true shepherd is the good shepherd. Let's look at that together. Jesus continues this. We know this as the great I am the good shepherd chapter. And we see that in verse 11, don't we? But there's a couple of other I am statements too in this passage. Do you see that there in verse 7? Jesus says what? I am the door of the sheep. He says it again in verse 9. I am the door. The false shepherds, in contrast, they abuse the sheep. Jesus reveals their true identity here. What were they? Were they? Does Jesus call them false shepherds? Does He call them hirelings? No, what does He call them? Thieves and robbers, doesn't He? Can you imagine how offended they were? I would have loved to have seen the look on the Pharisee's face when Jesus says, you're nothing but a bunch of thieves and robbers and strangers to God's people. They don't know you. But that's what Jesus does. He identifies them in verse 1. He's a thief and robber. Again, in verse 8, thieves and robbers. And their intention is revealed in verse 10. What do they do? They have one purpose in mind. Steal, kill, and destroy. That's what these thieves and robbers do. They have no legitimate claim over the sheep and they are abusive to the sheep. 
They use them for what they can get from the sheep. It's often said that shepherds should smell like their sheep. Well, these illegitimate shepherds, they smell like the sheep, but only because they've been eating them and dressing in their wool. It's a disturbing picture, isn't it? They're using and abusing the sheep, not caring for them. A number of years ago, Gina Marie and I left a, an abusive church. The pastor was a bit of an abusive leader. Could have been much worse, but it was bad enough. And I remember when we got to our new church, found a new place to worship, met with a new pastor, Pastor Larry, a fine minister, sat with Pastor Larry and explained to him why we had left, and he was familiar with all the, the antics of this big mega church in Tallahassee where we had been attending. I'll never forget what Pastor Larry said to me. He looked at me and he said, David, people are not platforms for pastors to stand upon to make themselves look better than what they really are. Leaders are only useful, is what he was saying, in their ability to care tenderly for God's people. Seeing them as sheep of the chief shepherd, King Jesus. And leaders in the church are only useful as they themselves follow the great shepherd of the sheep. Not abusing them. Not neglecting them. Not using them for what they can get out of them, not, not treating them as disposable, but caring for them, providing for them, and loving them. Jesus is the only shepherd who's ever done that perfectly, isn't He? Every single under-shepherd that's ever lived or served God's people, including your pastor, has failed in this regard. You see, like you... Every elder in the church needs the care of the shepherd too. We need his love and care and attention. And we're only as effective in ministering to God's people as we see them as rightfully the sheep who belong to King Jesus and we see ourselves as sheep and we see ourselves as under-shepherds that the great shepherd has sent to care for the sheep. We love them and minister to them not abusing them, not deserting them, and not abandoning them. These false shepherds, these Pharisees, they abused the sheep. They were thieves and robbers who came to steal, kill, and destroy. But that's not the way that Jesus loves His sheep, is it? What does Jesus say here in this passage? I am the door. Of the sheep. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that I'm I'm I am the one through whom the sheep enter and exit into eternal life. That's what Jesus is saying. He uses covenant language from the Old Testament to explain the care that he has for his sheep. Let's look at verse nine. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Stop right there. You should underline that in your Bible. This language comes right out of the Old Testament. In and out and find pasture. It's covenant language. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 6. 
Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. It's a description. The entering and exiting, the in and the out, is a reference to when God's people are in covenant with Him by His grace that they receive the peace and blessing of being under the care of Jesus as the great shepherd. Psalm 121, verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. It's covenant language used in Deuteronomy and Psalm 121. It's also used in Numbers chapter 27. Moses, the great leader of God's people, prayed to the Lord about whom the Lord would raise up to lead Israel after his death. Here's what Moses prayed. Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Beautiful picture here, isn't it? Of the shepherd watching over his flock and and every single part of their life is provided for and cared for by the great shepherd of the sheep. They go out to pasture and all their needs are met and they they come in from pasture and they are provided for and they're protected and loved and cared for and and all their needs are provided for. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says that when they come through Me, the door, all their spiritual needs are cared for. I watch over My sheep. That's what Jesus is saying. This passage where Moses prays to the Lord is interesting. The Lord tells him that He's going to raise up Joshua to go and and anoint Joshua and set apart Joshua as the one who will do this work of leading God's people into the covenant blessings of the Lord. Notice all the use of the prepositions here are so intentional. Leading them into the promised land that they will be provided for, that they will be able to go in and out and roam freely in God's covenant blessings. Isn't it interesting? Joshua's name means Yahweh is salvation. You know how they translate Joshua's name in the Greek version of the Old Testament? Looking at a couple of the Greek students in the room. Jesus. You see, in this way, Jesus is intentional. He's using this language. He's using this imagery from the Old Testament and even from Numbers chapter 27. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm the greater Joshua. I'm the greater shepherd of the sheep. I'm the shepherd that all the other shepherds were pointing to. All the other, even good shepherds, were archetypes, but Jesus is the antitype. He's the shepherd that God had promised who would come and care for His covenant people. You might not always feel like Jesus is the good shepherd. It's not fun when the shepherd corrects you or disciplines you. When he whacks you with his staff, don't do that. Pulls you back into line. 
It's not fun when the shepherd comes and breaks a leg of a sheep that he knows is prone to wander to keep that sheep by his side. But we know this, that everything that the good shepherd does, he does so in his love and mercy and grace and tender care for his sheep. He cares for us. He knows what's best for us. And you might be questioning that. You might feel like, well, can I really trust that? Can I really know that everything that Jesus does, He does so in His providence for my good and for God's glory? Absolutely you can. Look at verse 11. Jesus is saying here, I am the good shepherd. In contrast to all those other lousy shepherds, Jesus is the good shepherd. And all the other good shepherds, Jesus is the good shepherd. That's what he's saying here in verse 11. What does this shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. Wouldn't logic tell you that the opposite would be true? If a shepherd has all his sheep out in the wilderness, out in, the, out in pasture, and they're, they're on a, a, a long journey out for food and for water, wouldn't logic tell you that the moment the shepherd dies, these sheep are lost? These sheep will be scattered. These sheep will drown. They'll, they'll die to pray. They'll walk right off a cliff like lemmings. Uh, wouldn't logic tell you that the sheep, if the shepherd dies, are helpless? This is where the analogy breaks down. Because the very death of Jesus means the very life for the sheep. Jesus loves His sheep so much that His coming to earth and His death on the cross is described as a sheep that is led to the slaughter. He became a sheep like me and you. And in his vision of Jesus in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John, when he, see Je when he sees Jesus there next to the Ancient of Days, he hears that the Lion of the tribe of Judah has come, that he's been found worthy to open the seals of God's plan of redemption. And then the Apostle John, he looks to see the Lion of the tribe and, of Judah, and who does he see? Does he see a lion? No. He sees a lamb as though he had been slain. Don't ever doubt the Good Shepherd's love and care for you. He's the only Good Shepherd worth following. And the moment you're tempted to doubt that, you look to your Shepherd's death and realize that He became a sheep like me and you to save you to take our penalty and our punishment upon Himself on the cross that He might care faithfully for us and that His death means our life. Amen? My question for you this morning is, have you heard the shepherd's call? Have you heard His call? You might be five years old this morning. You can hear the shepherd's call if he calls you. You might have been in church all your life and heard the preaching of the Word all your life. 
And this morning might be the first day that you're hearing the shepherd's call. If you hear the shepherd's call this morning, calling you by name, let me just encourage you. Run to the shepherd. Flee to the shepherd. Cling to Jesus. He's the only good shepherd worth following. Let's pray.